Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. All right, my daughter is home, which means you're going to hear Godzilla rampaging through downtown Tokyo just outside this door in a matter of moments. But hi, everyone. It is the 14th of April, 2021, and it is time for Morning Combat. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm from CBS Sports. I am one half of your hosting duo today. I'm joined by the gentleman on the other side of the screen. He's our Florida correspondent. Just so happens to be a UFC Hall of Famer as well as a combat sports analyst for CBS Sports as well. It's Sugar Rashad Evans. Mr. Evans, how are you, sir, on this fine Wednesday? I am great this fine Wednesday. Just uh, enjoying another beautiful day in sunny South Florida. How, how many days out of the year as a Florida <laughs> resident would you say you actually make it to the beach? Now, not necessarily in the water, but maybe on the beach, laying out, hanging out with friends, so, something where the beach is involved in some kind of leisurely activity. I try to do it at least twice a month. You know, uh, there are times where I, I go without, you know, months and months without going. And then I'm just like, when I go there, I'm just like, why don't I go here every day? You know, there was a time where I was going every single morning, but, uh, you know, that can be time consuming. <laughs> if I lived near the beach, I'd like to think that I would go most days, but I don't know. I've never lived in a beach town except for, uh, you know, the week of spring break or something like that, which doesn't really count. I would imagine yeah. it'd be pretty tempting. But um, all right, we have a lot to do today, Mr. Evans. We have, let's see, we've got some breaking news to get to. We've got some fight previewing to do. We've got, the let's see, the, the Askren and Paul fight that come this weekend. We have Bellator. We have a lot with UFC. We have a lot of stuff. So we're going to start to dig our toes, so to speak, into the sands of those uh, fight stories. If you are new to MK or you're regular, either way, please give the video a thumbs up. If you're new, of course, Give the, video, uh, give the uh, channel a subscription. We appreciate that very much when you do. If you'd like to try Showtime, you can. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go pound sand. Uh, if you want to take the plunge, show.com slash Bellator MMA. You get $4.99 a month for the first six months of that. Of course, remember, Bellator 257 is on Friday. Again, we'll get into that a little bit as well. And uh, if you want to email the show, you can put that up as well, uh, morningcombat at gmail.com, dead wrong, uh, fan subs. We're not going to do fan subs today because it just feels wrong to do that in Brian Campbell's absence, but we've got some other fun stuff planned for the end of the show still. Keep those dead wrongs and fan submissions coming if you can. And um, yeah, I think that's about, oh, merch, store.show.com, right? You can buy hats, mugs, tumblers. I don't know, shit like that. Things you, <laughs> things you probably don't need, if we can just be honest with you. But I'd like you to buy just the same. Uh, store.show.com. All right. Let's get into it if we can here, Rashad, on this Wednesday edition of the show. Let me ask you first, before I bring up the actual way in which I want to have this conversation, just as a broad overview, where are you on the YouTube boxing thing? What is your general... <laughs> forget about the fight this weekend, you know, exactly. Just in general, what do you, how do you view that enterprise? I mean, it's, uh, it's entertainment. Um, you know, I, I, I give it that for the fun factor. It's fun to watch, but outside of that, there's, there's really not much, there's really not much to it. I mean, uh, you know, but I, however, however, with all that said, I'm very interested to see Ben, <laughs> Ben fight this weekend. Though. I really am. 
All right. I want to talk about Ben a, a little bit later, but I want to start the conversation here because I want to get a general tenor of your stuff. My attitude is there's quite obviously a market for it. How big is debatable, but it's there is one. I think the fight this weekend will sell quite well. I don't think Triller's going to make any money off of it because of their payroll is out of control, but um, it, will, it will sell quite well. I am, I am confident of that. But I've been thinking about Jake Paul a little bit, which is, you know, sad and a, a reflection of how many poor choices I've made in my life, Rashad, that I've come to a position at age 41, I have to spend time thinking about this dweeb. But, but there is something that you just can't, to me, you just can't deny about him. So I'm going to make a statement. I'll defend it, but I would love to get your reaction to it first. I believe that if you are looking around and you're asking why are people interested in, in Jake Paul fighting either this opponent or any other, some more than others, the answer to me is going to be that this guy is the YouTube boxing or YouTube combative sports heir to Kimbo Slice. Mm. People don't want to admit that because Kimbo Slice is extremely beloved and Jake Paul is largely polarizing or reviled by many corners. So there's some meaningful differences between the two. And Kimbo got famous YouTube fighting, whereas Jake Paul built fame on Vine, then on YouTube through his antics, and has transitioned into this. But here's why I bring this up, Rashad, because all the similarities are there, right? Using YouTube as a platform for fame, and you're not really fighting fighting, you're kind of like stunt fighting, which is still very difficult to do, but it's not actual fighting, you know? So it's a little bit different there. And two, I remember this, Rashad. Don't you remember when Kimbo was starting to make his move into MMA, and then you had like Baz Rutten training with him, and they'd be like, wow, he's so much better than I thought he would be. And all these little nuggets of information coming out from different fighters, different camps, be like, wow, Kimbo works really hard, blah, 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 blah. You're seeing the exact same thing to a degree with Jake Paul. You're seeing uh, 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 Violent Bob Ross come out and say he's so much better than I thought and all these other little validators. So of that thesis, what do you make? Is Jake Paul the heir to Kimbo Slice? I, I can see that. I can see that. But one one thing that, um, you know, for me that stands out, you know, as a Kimbo fan, you know, what captured my attention with Kimbo was just the rawness of, of what he did you know, um, with those backyard fights and everything like that. I think that's what captivated me. And I just don't get that rawness, but I, I do understand the same sentiment with the YouTube and, and, ma and making it, uh, you know, you know, making it, um, you know, his vehicle to, uh, you know, to, to reach these fans. So I, I do understand it in that respect. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can see, I can see the similarities, but here's the thing though. The, does, does Jake Paul, I mean, cause, Kimball was beloved in the fact that he was just so intimidating and, and, and the fact that, you know, when he went out there, he was knocking guys eyeballs out and then you got to know him and then he was like this soft, nice guy. So that was the appeal with Kimball. But with Jake Paul, he's just so trolly. You just you, you just can't stand him and you just want to see him get destroyed. You know what I'm saying? But then you find out that on the other side of it, that he's actually pretty decent. And, and to, to that point. You know, uh, Jake Paul, you know, um, actually tried to get some sparring with Tyrone Spung when he first came down to Florida to start this camp. And I was just I was just surprised. I mean, listen, Tyrone Spung is is an animal inside the ring or a cage or whatever. But even in training, Tyrone is somebody you just don't want to even spar with. You know what I'm saying? So for him to call out Tyrone, it just showed me just that he was believing in his own hype a bit. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> did, did did Spong do it? 
Not well. It ended, it didn't end up happening, but uh, it was it was dangerously close to happening. I was gonna go and see it, man, because Tyrone. He, he was going to body you. He yeah, was definitely going to body that you. motherfucker like a summer job. <laughs> I mean, that was going to get ugly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he's definitely believing his own hype a little bit, which, you know, I guess if you're going to do that kind of thing on some level, you're supposed to. See, here's the thing. I agree with you. Like, there are real meaningful differences. This is not an exa- This is not an argument to say that, like, Jake Paul is today's Kimbo Slice because you're right. Kimbo right. featured very differently. He was this... He was the jaws underneath the water, you know, this very intimidating, menacing figure at first. Then transitioned. I remember Dan Lebetard wrote a story about Kimbo being homeless after one of the hurricanes had hit Florida. So you had this hard Scrabble story, and then you met his family, and then he was trying to do different things. And he became a sympathetic, soft figure. In that sense, uh, he's quite different from Jake. But you you have to ask yourself, if YouTube fighting is going to be a thing, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it's going to be a thing. You're going to get heroes. You're going to get villains, too. You're not going to get just one or the other. It's going to produce, to me, a whole bevy of different people. And I agree that, I mean, he is, Jake Paul is so trolly. So, to me, he's like the heir to Kimbo Slice, but he's also, he brought in modern internet culture is just troll culture everywhere. Whether you watch movies on the internet, sorry, whether you're involved in, like, cinema internet, combat sports internet, you know, um, um, food internet, all of it is troll culture. It's seeped into yeah. every part. He has taken that to the nth degree, but then following in some of the footsteps that Kimbo did. So he's remixed it, Rashad, but to me it's a difference in degree, not a difference in kind. Mm, mm. I hear, I, I understand it. Yeah, definitely, man. That that troll culture is uh, something key that you hit on, too. It's everywhere, and, and it's something that you know, until I heard you put it like that, you know, it really wasn't crystallized in my mind as, as being a total concept, you know. But now that you said it like that, it is, man. I mean, I mean, people are taking this whole trolling thing to a whole nother level. And, you know, uh, Jake, Jake Paul is the king of the trolls. I mean, this guy, for, for him to even build up this fight, even to get the fight, I was just like, yo, somebody's got to shut this dude up. I mean, he's running around just talking crazy to everybody. He talks wild. He talks wild. Um, so let's uh, let's get to this fight here just a little bit. You had indicated you were like, okay, in general, you know, you could take it or leave it. But this particular one, you wanted to take now, or you were interested in more. What do you make of this framing? People always ask this question, and I try to answer the best that I can, which is: Is Jake Paul good? And I never know what they mean by good. I never know what they mean by bad. It's hard to answer that question, which is why, Rashad, I've described him. And if you have a better way to describe it, please, by all means, let me know. But I kind of described him, and I did this to BC. I don't know how he felt about it. I do think that the stunt boxing is a good way to describe it. Because if you're like a stunt performer, that's not an easy job. Like, you actually do have to train for that. You have to be prepared for that. It's dangerous. It could go poorly. But you also have to have some skills to execute a stunt. But that's not the same thing as actually doing the thing. It's a it's a it's a controlled version of it, and so I think that he probably has a degree of ability. But like, until you actually fight real pros and real challenges, to me, you're only going to be a stunt boxer. Am I being unfair? No, you're not being unfair at all. You know, I think that there is a definitely a graduation process that he needs to go through in order to be considered a real fighter, you know, and fighting a guy like Ben Askren is a step along the way, but it's not totally that direction being the fact that, you know, 
uh, Ben Askren is, is a professional in a different discipline. So um, he, he's taking the steps to become a real fighter. Now it's just a matter of does he have that fight in him? You know, the, can he transform and become a real fighter? We'll see because what makes a fighter a fighter is if we can watch a fight and, and we can get emotionally pulled into your struggle and how you're able to pull it off and 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 just, you know, being able to see you fight through some things. You know, I think that's when, you know, people start, OK, this guy has some fighting up. Uh, I mean, apart from the skill level alone. Right. Because you got to have some skills in order to even be considered a fighter in some degree. Uh, but Jake Paul has that. Jake Paul ha- has some pretty good ones and twos, has some pretty good power, um, you know, knows knows his basics pretty well, um, has a lot of confidence that can carry him far. But now he's going against a guy in Ben Askren, who is a real fighter. If Ben isn't anything, he's definitely a fighter, you know, and in and, and the respect to the fact that, you know, he's he's one guy who can grind and he can, you know, uh, bring the fight from a different from a different perspective and compete at a higher level and can jake compete at that level that's the real question would you be surprised if either guy got tuned up i mean i i would i would really be surprised if jake paul got tuned up um I mean, either, either, either guy get tuned up because I just can't see for one Ben Askren being able to tune anybody up with those hands. I mean, his his hands are, his hands are terrible. They're terrible. You know, yeah, they're, they're and, not and great. No, nah, he looked like he's out there swatting flies. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to throw that into a punching combination. What I foresee is that him throwing one punch, him tying up. And then through the frustration, being able to land some shots that can maybe hurt uh, Jake Paul. But I mean, Ben is not even known for his power, you know, so there's a lot of different things that can, you know, make this fight interesting. But at the end of the day, I think that this is Jake Paul's fight to lose. That'll be interesting to see. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, what would the results mean if Jake wins? And I'm like, not a whole lot. Like, to your point, Ben's striking was never great or even really good um, or even really there. I mean, there's just a lot of problems with it, and which I think even he would probably, for the most part, admit. And then he had a hip replaced after he retired. He's come back now. Now, I know he's felt better, but it's like, you know, how many times can you brag about a win over... Oh, I jacked the jaw of a guy who had a hip replacement. Okay. I mean, <laughs> it's not nothing, uh, but I don't really know that it's some kind of high water mark. And they're going to use it to launder. You know they are. They're going to use it to launder the truth. They're going to say, yeah. oh, Jake beat a UFC fighter. You know, they're going to yeah. say that as if that's like some kind of grand pronouncement rather than them like getting the. They, got, they found the guy with like probably even admittedly the worst hands maybe ever in modern UFC. Uh, great wrestler, obviously, and, and tremendously strong, um, and a decorated athlete at one point in his life. Waited till he had a hip replacement, and then boxed him up. And they're gonna be like, "Oh, see, uh, that's, that's the, the 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 dishonesty about it is kind of what I really hate the most." If I could just be honest with you, Rashad, what's that? The dishonesty of like, it "Oh, I beat a UFC fighter." It's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, did you? You know, with, with this with this whole thing. Um, you know, what gets me as well, too, is that, you know, you, you have Ben Askren and, um, you know, with with the fight, uh, is is this fight going to be a fight that, you know, that that can build some momentum from Jake? Because at the end of the day, Jake can just keep on doing this. Jake can just keep on having these these trailer fights because 
there, he doesn't never need to raise his level. He has enough interest on his platform that beating a guy like Ben Askren can get him a fight with somebody else along the same lines, you know, along the same lines, somebody with less experience in boxing and whatnot, and keep on doing the same thing over and over again and keep on just racking up these checks, you know, because, uh, the, the truth of the matter is this does have a following, you know what I'm saying? And I mean, people like to see what an average guy can do. And I think that's one thing that Jake hits, uh, you know, that, that he's able to really capture with this whole YouTube fighting is this is an average guy. You know, this is like pros versus Joe's is pros, pros versus Joe's back in the day, you know, and that's what this is like. OK, Jake is the Joe and, you know, you have the pro and, and, and Ben Askren. Can he do it? Hmm. It'll be interesting to see. Um, so you're definitely going to watch on Saturday. What's your plan? Yeah, I'm gonna watch this. I'm. A, I gotta. I gotta watch it. It's like an accent. I gotta watch it, man. Because I, I, I'm. I'm cheering for Ben Askren. I mean, I just. I just. I don't want to see him lose. I don't want to see that stain on MMA. But I almost feel less like it's inevitable. Yeah, I. 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 I don't really know what to expect. Candidly, like, I, you know, you could tell me that to your point, Ben's going to go in there and overhook one hand. You know, and then dirty, not dirty box, but, you know, short little uppercuts underneath until the referee separates over and over and over again. And like somehow we'll either win or the fight will suck enough that you don't really care who won or lost, something like that. Like I can see that as totally plausible. I can see, you know, him getting stretched, to be quite honest with you, that being plausible as well. Uh, I, likely, I don't know, but plausible. And so for those reasons, actually, I'm a little bit curious to see what happens, but I don't think that, you know, again, if folks ask me, oh, is he good? I'm like, okay, how many boxers has Jake Paul fought in a boxing match? Right, Zero. right. You know what I mean? Like, start yep. doing that, and we, we can more, you know, accurately assess, you know, how, how what your skill level is. Um, also, I wonder what they're paying these guys. Last thing on this, Rashad, because even Ben has admitted, like, listen, I didn't really want to do this fight. Like, it wasn't on, like, top of mind, but the money is dumb. The money is dumb. And if you saw the purse bid for Teofimo Lopez, and they, they put like almost three times what the other bids were, Triller must be paying stupid money. So Rashad, if you got a Jake Paul call out, and they're offering you stupid money to come back for, I don't know, six rounds, three minutes or something like that, what do you think? You're going to do it? You're going to go knock this fucker out? Bro, if they call me like today and say, could you be ready for the fight this weekend, I would do it. Of course. I mean, look... It's six rounds. It's six <laughs> rounds. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's nothing. That's yeah. nothing. Like, I mean, I'm in pretty decent shape right now. I'm not in great fighting shape. Definitely not in great boxing shape. But, I mean, I, I can definitely, you know, tussle with Jake Paul for for six rounds. You know what I mean? that That's that's easy work. You know, I mean, not not saying he's, well, yeah, I, I'll, 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 I'll beat the hell out of Jake Jake Paul. I mean, I, I would love to see it. But by the way, in terms, just last thing on this: in terms of managing your energy, is there nearly the same amount in time? What's the difference between like five minutes uh, fighting an MMA and then a one minute break, and then like you know, it, this would still go over the limit, but you'd have two rounds in boxing and essentially a break at the end. That would be a little bit longer, but they're roughly equivalent in time frame. Um, how how different is it? It's it's a bit different. It's a bit different in your. Um your, your work and your energy you're putting out and stuff like that, you know, how you want to, how you want to do it and the pace that you're setting. But, you know, at the end of the day, that three minutes feels really, really short, you know, so you almost want to, uh, you know, start a little bit faster than you normally would in an MMA fight. But at the same time, you know, um, you know, really, uh, start to, um, 
you know, you want to end the last 30 seconds strong, but, you know, uh, start to, uh, like in between rounds, it, it, you're going to feel, you're going to feel so rested so fast because that's when you'll still be fighting in MMA and, uh, you just got to keep on, um, you know, staying sharp at that point. But it, it's, I think, I think it's pretty easy. Every single time that I do, you know, six minute, uh, six rounds of boxing, three minute rounds, I'm like, dang, that, it's, it's over already. It goes mm-hmm. by so fast. I'll say this though. Ben Askren was asked about the training for this, and again, he's going to have very, you know, limited training with striking generally. And then for this fight, I'm assuming he's got a very specific game plan that he's going to stick to. That's not really going to be involved at too much at range. I think it's pretty a fair point. But he was saying how much easier boxing training is than fighting, and certainly I think that the injury load tells you that um, that's probably true. There's probably something to be said for MMA's injury load that speaks to how hard the training is, and of course the multi-dimensional aspect. I recognize as being just uniquely difficult, but I think people often overuse terms, Rashad, when they're like, oh, training in MMA is either uh, is harder than it is in boxing. And it's like, well, there might be some real truth to that. He goes, because you know, you're just training hands. You're not doing anything else. Fine. I can admit that the, the, the lack of dimensionality makes it somewhat of a more manageable task. But then when you look at the guys who do it really well, yes, there's less options in terms of what you can do in a fight. But within those range of options, they have all the little tiny pieces along the way um, throughout the course. I mean, they're, either the, the timing on the check hook that Bud Crawford threw to knock out Kell Brook, that little window, you know what I mean? The tiniest little window, they find all of them. So yes, there's less yeah. to do, but your margin of error against somebody good in that sport is extremely low. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and in boxing, it's all about repetitions, you know, you do the repetitions over and over again, and you do them with a couple of different exercises where it kind of disguises that you're doing the same repetition uh, in the same movement. But at the end of the day, it's all about that same repetition, the same movement, because they, they want to just make it so you just reacting out there and you react in the most when you're just kind of in, in your muscle memory. So you know that's that's what makes it um, a, a little bit easier because you 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 don't you're not working the whole entire body, but at the same time those details it, it's mentally taxing in that in that respect. You know that's why it's such a mental game of chess. Hmm. Interesting. All right, let's move on if we can to topic number two here, Rashad. Bellator 257 is this weekend. Some interesting fights on the card. Julia Budd, the former champion at 145, is back. Uh, two of the guys, uh, well, actually, one of the guys who lost in the featherweight tourney is facing an up-and-comer from New Zealand. So you'll have Pedro Carvalho taking on J.J. Wilson. Uh, Saul uh, Rogers taking on Mads Burnell. These are two guys who could easily be fighting in UFC. And then you, so on and so on, Lance Gibson Jr., uh, the son of Lance Gibson. But at the top of the card, Rashad, you've got Vadim Nemkov and Phil Davis. You fought Phil Davis. First of mm-hmm. all, what did you learn about fighting? That was a while ago, but what did you learn about fighting Phil Davis? You, which, by the way, you won quite well. Yeah, uh, you know, Phil Phil kind of surprised me with a couple of different techniques. You know, his stand-up was a lot better than I thought it was at the time. Um, and he also surprised me with some things he didn't do. You know, I thought that he would wrestle a lot more. You know, Phil was one of the best college wrestlers out the gate, I mean, in, in, in college. And, um, you know, he didn't really wrestle too much or even, you know, show his, his ground game because I guess he has really good ground game coupled with that great wrestling. But he didn't really show it. Um you know, he, he was pretty strong. He was pretty strong. And uh, he was kind of he was kind of hard to break because there's some times where I thought like he was just going to quit and give up. But he just he just kept on fighting through. So um, he was a pretty he was a pretty tough out. You know, he's grown a lot since we fought. 
But at the same time, there are some areas where he didn't. And I think that the areas where he didn't is the uh, the fight IQ. What do you mean? Well, I feel like, you know, he doesn't fight the best fight for him. He has pretty he has pretty decent stand up and is and it's pretty decent because I say it can close the distance and it can disguise his takedowns and what he wants to do, right? In, in order to set up something else. So it's pretty decent in that respect, but it's not world beater. And and sometimes he puts himself in a position to fight a world beater stand up fight. And it's like that's not your game. Your game is if you can mix in your rusting with it, mix in the level changes, mix in all the other tools that you have to make it more dynamic. You know, Phil Davis has a hell of a kick too. This kick can kick like crazy, but it's kind of telegraphed, you know, because he's he's throwing one thing at a time. He's not really throwing things in fluid combinations. And I think if he's able to bring his wrestling in there, it'll open up the wrestle, rest of his game. But he's still yet to do that. And that's why I say it's like an IQ thing. You know what I've noticed about his uh, his career? Either What's for, that? Like, he's never really ended up on highlight reels. Like, yeah. it's weird, you know? Like, it, it, yeah. it, when he loses, even like the, I think the Rumble fight, like, he was wise enough to avoid the big shot from Rumble for the most part. Um, and he has achieved great things, but it's, his fights have all kind of taken on this kind of pace where it never really suits itself to the highlight reel, even when he loses. It's this, uh, it's a bizarre kind of situation. Like, most of the time, fighters who've been around as long as he have, who's fought who he has, somebody's got him good once or twice. Right. It's not really right. the case with him. He's lost. You know, you hear you see Nemkov tossing him around, but not. The fights have never been like that, have they? Yeah, I mean, you're right, man. He's really never just been beat and knocked out. And, you you know, you've never seen that with Phil Davis, which is a good thing, which is a great thing, which shows that, you know, there's still a lot of uh, tread left on those tires, you know, and, there, and there's a lot of uh, freshness still in him because he hasn't taken those big blows. But at the same time, it kind of it kind of goes to, you know, uh, you know, what the, the, the errors in his game, meaning the fact that, you know, maybe he's not aggressive enough. You know, he's got to be aggressive enough with his own game. And and that's why he, you know, um, I don't know, man, it, it's, it's just hard. It's just hard to say how he hasn't taken any of these shots. I mean, you fight a guy like Rumble, you know what I'm saying? Like right. Rumble's finding everybody's chin. He's putting them out. But Phil's been able to do a good job. of that. I think he's only lost like four times and they all been decisions. So he's been um been been preserving himself pretty well but if he's going to be the guy and he's going to win this tournament he's got to turn the corner he's got to turn the corner on his fight approach and just start implementing more of his tools start using his dominant grappling game when he got Nemkov down in the first fight he almost he he really put Nemkov down I mean put him in trouble on like a you know he had a an arm triangle at one time uh, you know he, he was going from one submission to the next and he was going quite fluidly so it's like dude you could have did this the whole fight and I hope he keys in on that and starts this fight off like he did the third round in the first fight how, how good do you think Nemkov is based on that fight and of course he beat he beat the brakes off Ryan Bader assess his level of talent for me Nimkov is good. You know, he's solid all the way around. He has great stand up, fluid stand up. 
and great combination striking and a pretty good idea of where to put those strikes, you know, pretty good uh, striking IQ. And then he has good wrestling to boot, pretty decent and solid inside the clinch. You know, my thing with Nimkov is that he kind of fades in a fight a little bit, you know, in a fight with Phil Davis, you can see him kind of fade in the, in a third and uh, the third round a bit, you know, and I've seen him in other fights too, kind of trail off too and just not be, had that same sharpness that he had in the first two rounds, which can be expected when you put in the kind of effort that he does. But at the same time, when you're the champion, you got to start being able to find a lot of momentum in those championship rounds because you got to be able to close the show out as a champion. It's funny, you know, Phil, uh, former champion, has, to me, of anyone, he's probably the one least expected on his side of the bracket because it's Nemkov, Phil, and then Rumble and Romero. You know, yeah. of all the guys on there, he's probably the least expected to advance, and he has the toughest road. First, you got to beat Nemkov, and then you got to beat either Rumble, who already beat you, or 205 Romero, who, who at that point would be coming off of a Rumble win to get there. That is not an easy path for Phil Davis. And then, by the way, if you win, you got to beat probably Ryan Bader or Corey Anderson, too. You know, he's got, I would argue, a, a fairly uphill climb, right? Yeah, fairly, fairly uphill climb. And he's going to have to pull out, you know, the, the best string of fights of his career in order to, you know, have his hand raised and, and, and win this tournament. But uh, he, he can do it. He can do it. But it's going to take Phil Davis fighting a lot different than he has before. You know, he, he's got to be able to be a little bit more volume on his feet with his striking so that way he can set up his takedowns. And and then from there, his takedowns will set up his hands. He has a really good overhand right that he lands in, in, and he throws it with some power, but it just never hits as clean as it can. And that's partly because of the fact that, you know, they're they're not guessing what's coming. They know what's coming. You know, he has a really good uh, high kick too. Phil Davis threw a high kick and it just, it grazed me, but I just felt the breeze off it. And I'm like, man, if that would have caught me, man, I probably would have knocked out for two days because he throws a lot of power on those kicks. But, you know, he, he doesn't really set those things up properly. You know, he just kind of like just throwing technique, but without a rhyme or reason. Now that we've got you here, like, what, how should we prepare for Rumble? You know, is it the rumble of before? Is it a little bit different? Like, he's a little bit older, but he, you know, he last four years, he's been kind of, I won't say chilling, but certainly not been competing in MMA. What what, what should fans expect when he takes on Romero, I guess, on May 7th? You know, uh, this is a different rumble. Like, this rumble that we're seeing now is is a, um, a rumble that we would only see when it comes to, you know, the last few weeks of fight camp, meaning the fact that he's keeping his weight down. You know, Rumble's walking around like at, you know, 218, 215 and just mm -hmm. solid and really strong. And he's worked on a lot of areas that gave him problems in the UFC. You know, he's worked on his grappling. He's worked extensively on his jujitsu and um, worked on his wrestling. And those, those things that he used to hate, now he's gravitating more towards because he knew that was his Achilles heel. So if he can maintain those things going into a fight, because it's one thing to do something to practice, another thing to do in a fight. If he can maintain those things and, and, and bring it towards a fight, then we're looking at a Rumble who can do everything fluidly and who can impose his will by using his wrestling and get the fight to where he wants to, not only with the hands standing up, but taking the guy down and letting him feel like ground and pound. That, that cor I mean, dude, that fight with him and Romero, like lock horns, it's just going to be chaos. I don't even know. Oh I feel gosh. like I feel like it's just someone's going to get stretchered. I, you know, it's just going to be terrible for the loser. I don't know who that's going to be, but 
Romero is a force of nature too. That really isn't like the most exciting bout, frankly, in that tournament, really, and, and anywhere, uh, and then some. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I can't wait, man. Uh, Romero, everybody that I, I know that have fought Romero, they all come back and tell me the same thing. They're like, man, you know, this guy can't be human, man. Like when I hit him, it hurt me. Like his bone is made of like a metal. Like he just, he just, like when you, when you, when you hit him, it hurts you and it just doesn't feel right. And, you know, that's what people tell me that, that, that's fought him before. I'm just like, man, that sounds crazy, you know? And, uh, they say that his speed and the strength is just, out of control, so we'll see what Rumble has to say after this fight. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, just real quickly on the co-main is the other, excuse me, the other side of the bracket. Corey Anderson makes his, I think, second fight in Bellator, first of the Grand Prix, when he takes on big time unknown Dovlitzdan Yakshamuradov. There is tape of him on YouTube. You can go and see it. What would you say, Rashad? I've looked at the tape too. He's small for the weight class. Does appear to be strong. Does appear to be like maybe he yep. could physically handle himself here on some level. But, you know, Corey Anderson is, he's not going to win any bodybuilding contest, but he's strong and in shape. He's a good wrestler, too. He can lean on you. He can grind on you if he needs to. And then, you know, even if you beat him, you got to beat Ryan Bader. And even after that, you got to beat, you know, the whole side of the bracket or whoever ends up winning. I, I don't want to dismiss Yagshamuradov, but I would just be lying if I thought he had a likely path to the finals. Yeah, I mean, he he is probably has the, the, the toughest out of everybody, right? I mean... Corey Anderson out the gate, you know, you're talking about a guy in Corey Anderson who sets a pace that, you know, the, the flyweights may be a little envious of, you know, this guy has a gas tank on him that just keeps going and going. And just the, the vocabulary of his, his whole fight game when it comes to striking, mixing in the takedowns, that complete Mark Henry game is, is on another level. I used to train with Mark Henry and it was you know, one of the most interesting times in my career because I never trained with a more thorough coach. You know, Mark Henry, you know, so thorough with his X's and O's. He has a game plan, crazy. He makes you, you know, you remember all the, the codes. You have codes that he calls and you just, he calls these codes and you like, you do these moves, you know? And, um, you know, that's a big part of Corey's game. And that's a big part of Corey's fight IQ is that he's got Mark Henry behind him. Now, with Yag Shemirdov, you know, he, he's got the ability to wrestle. He's got the ability to, you know, stay on his feet. And he has explosive strikings with the overhand right. And, you know, it seems as if like his punches just, you know, they, they change up speeds. You know, they look to come one way and then they just kind of speed up. And he's really good with his punch selection as well, too. He has a murderous overhand right. But that size is going to be a big problem for him to keep a guy like Corey Anderson off him. I mean, Corey's just going to keep going. Shot, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Even if Yakshimirov does stop him a few times, he's not going to be able to stand up to that pressure of Corey Anderson. Yeah, and again, if somehow he gets past Corey, congratulations. Here's Ryan Bader waiting right. for it, the heavyweight champion. Like It's going to be more of that um, times a thousand. Also, last note on this. Paul Daly was supposed to fight during the pandemic, and the whole thing went tits up because I think one of the opponents got COVID or the whole, they got canceled. But when the fight got canceled, he said, I have one more left. This was in October of 2020, and my next fight will be a 175-pound catchweight because there were weight issues, I think, with him as well. And that'll be, that'll be my retirement bout. Well, fast forward to Friday. This is his first bout um, since that time. So this is uh, my understanding. I could be wrong, is that this is Paul Semtex Daly's retirement fight um mm. any thoughts about the retirement assuming this is and i believe it is true 
about Paul Daly. I mean, he was a UK pioneer, right? He had good yeah. resume, good stand-up. He's one half of the best one-round fight, or arguably the best one-round fight of all time. He's got an insane highlight reel. Um, he did a lot in his career. He really did. You know, he was one of my favorites to watch. You know, this guy, uh, Paul Daly, brought it. You're talking about power in both hands. You know, some guys just have it in one hand, but Paul just had it in both hands. Just crazy, stupid power and, um, you know, explosiveness, like one of the most explosive athletes. And, you know, he's actually became a pretty decent wrestler just by, you know, preventing himself from getting taken down, being taken down so many times. Now he's gotten pretty decent. Um, if this is his last fight, I'll find that a little bit unfortunate because he's been on, he's on, he's on a bit of a, a streak right now. And this is the best string of fights that I've seen Paul Simtex daily uh, go on, you know, in, in a while. So it'd be interesting to see what an interesting fight with, I mean, a, a big win over Sabah would do for him. Would that make him want to say, you know what, maybe I got a little bit more left or what? Because, I mean, this fight with, with Sabah is going to be a fan favorite fight. I can't wait to watch it myself. So, and this is the perfect kind of fight that Paul Daly shines on. Somebody who's going to stand in front of him. Somebody who's not going to take him down. Somebody who's going to go blow for blow. So, it could be his retirement, but with the big finish, we can see Paul stay around. Yeah, there he is against Lorenz Larkin. Lorenz Larkin, a phenomenal striker. And Paul Daly out here giving him the business. Um, this guy beat a lot of good fighters. Very, very, very good talent and was really important for the U.K., uh, back when there wasn't a whole lot of fighters out of that part of the region. All right, let's move to the UFC if we can here, uh, Rashad. Kelvin Gastelum faces Robert Whitaker. By the way, we had Robert Whitaker on the show yesterday. It's not the best interview. I don't think he really wanted to do an interview. <laughs> but if you want to see it, you can. It, it wasn't personal, Rashad, but you know how it is. Like I've I noticed with is, fighters, there's a, there's a good time to book them and a good time not to book them. So, yeah. for example, I remember the first time I interviewed Rampage outside of a fight camp. All right. And when I say fight camp, I mean like within two weeks of a fight. I interviewed mm -hmm. him like he was six months after a fight, just getting fat and being Rampage. It was the most <laughs> different experience I'd ever had. It was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Because you get Rampage <laughs> cutting weight, he's not friendly. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not yep, in a good mood. Yep. And he's shitty. And then you get him outside of that, and it's, you know, he's the life of the party. So I yeah. really learned over time, you got to pick your moments when you, not just for weight cutting, but you got to pick your moments. Anyway, he did it. He's a pro. It was fine, but it wasn't a great interview. Um, but we were talking about something with Kelvin Gastelum. You and I on Monday's show, we're talking about Kevin Holland and the strategic bet he made to fill in on short notice. Refresh my memory, Rashad. To what extent have you filled in on short notice in your career? Um, I don't think I've ever filled in for short notice. Did they ever call you for it? Yeah, they, they've called me for it. And, um, I think I was going to do it one time, but the fight ended up not happening in general, but I don't, I can't remember off the top of my hand if I ever did a short notice fight. All right. Well, here's why I wanted to bring it up because people can disagree, but I think Kelvin Gastelum's decision to take this fight on short notice. It's a different set of incentives, but they're still pretty similar in many ways. I like it a lot more. I'll tell you why. And I want to see what you think about this. One, he's coming off of a win. Now, that win was not, uh, it was a good win, not a great win, but it was a win. So he wasn't trying to get anything back, right? He wasn't down at the blackjack table trying to, um, you know, fix some kind of right that, well, wrong that was, uh, that, that he, he didn't, he didn't double down on a mistake. He is doubling down on fact the fact that he had a, a good camp and also and a good win. 
And with that, he probably can maintain weight and can transition rather easily into this one. That's one I would say is different. Two, and I think this is pretty key, Rashad, the guy already had a full camp for Robert Whitaker. Now, he didn't get that mm-hmm. fight because the day of the fight, Robert Whitaker had to pull out. But he had all this time to prep for this guy. Plus, it's not like Robert Whitaker is not some known commodity. He was the champion of the weight class. Like, there's been a target on his back for some time. This guy had a whole camp around it to prepare for. And if you're Kelvin Gastelum, yes, beating Ian Heinish in your last fight is great. When are you going to get a chance to fight the number one contender? You're coming off of a win. You have preparation for this guy. It's a spot you'd never get short of this. I like this fight a lot more for Kelvin Gastelum than I liked Kevin Holland's fight against Marvin Vittori. I I 100% agree. You know, uh, for me, it comes down to Kevin Gastelum. You know, he's he's at that twilight stage of his career. You know, I don't want to put the stake in him and say that he's done. You know, he's definitely got some tread left on those tires. But at the same time, you, you know, he, he's closer to the end than he is, you know, uh, to, to, to having a few more years left. So with that said, he's got to seize these opportunities and fighting the number one uh, contender right now is is equal to him to fighting for the championship belt right now right you know he's got he's got to be able to start getting those big fights out the way you know and and here's another thing that i like kevin seems to compete a lot better against guys at the highest level you know kelvin has it has a tendency to to compete to his his competition at times you know and that's one thing that's been that that's been a achilles heel in his career you know when those those opportunities where he's supposed to look great against a lesser talent he just doesn't do that you know but against a guy like robert whitaker i do believe he can shine i do believe that he can tap into that full camp that he had with them already and that's another thing that makes this fight a more appealing fight having had a chance to have a full camp with them having that firsthand experience of of knowing you know taking the time and knowing you know all the things you need to go through in a full camp and all the things that he does you know he's not stepping in this fight blind he knows what he needs to do and he knows that you know how he matches up based off of MMA math the guys he may have fought or whatever guys he may have trained with whoever you know with Robert Whitaker because he's been around for so long so um I think this is a great fight for Calvin. I think this is what he needs in order to get back on path. If you were training Kelvin, or at a bare minimum, let's say cornering him, what would be your basic strategic advice? What's one like I've noticed? You know, like uh, there's a lot of ways to assess a fight and why guys win, and there's just certain Mm -hmm. conditions. If there's a condition in place in the fight, let me give you an example. If X fighter pick one who's got a really great jab. If he's able to maintain distance of jab range while using lateral movement, in other words, you don't force him or corner him or cut him off or really uh, change the distance between you. If he's the one dictating the distance and he's got room to do it, he's going to do it all day long. You have to take away that condition. What condition does Kelvin Gastelum have to establish to have the best uh, chance for success? You know, uh, Calvin used to have some really good footwork. Like he used to have some really bouncy footwork and that bouncy footwork, it was good because it bounced him out of a lot of, uh, you know, bad situations when the guy was attacking him. But at the same time, more importantly, it helped him offensively because he was able to really just bounce forward. He has a really good uh, right hand, really good overhand left that he does, you know, and, and with a lot of power. So, you know, if he has his footwork again, especially against a guy like Robert Whitaker, who is great footwork, you know, um, I think that's something that can behoove him as well, too. And not for nothing, he's got to get his lead hand going with, uh, you 
you know, with some jabs and stuff like that. Sometimes I feel like Calvin is just waiting for that big, powerful left hand to just come through and he doesn't allow the combinations to flow. And through combinations, that's when you find the power, not when you're just trying to look and land the home run. You can hit it at times, but for the most part, when you're trying to land that big shot, it eludes you. You know, his strength and conditioning coach is his girlfriend. Now, she does seem like a competent professional and a nice and normal person, but that is a, you know, that's a choice he's making. Would you ever have a significant other train you? Nah, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> depend, it depends on what, you know, but I, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in the fact that, you know, we got to have separation, you know, separation church and state, man. I got to be able to separate and be able to unwind and come home to my lady in a different capacity. We can't be in the house talking about fight all day. I, I When I'm in fight camp, that's the last thing. I don't want to be talking about the fight. I don't want to look at you and be like, oh man, I got training tomorrow. I don't want you to be watching what I'm eating saying, maybe you shouldn't have that because you, I mean, I don't want that. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll split the difference. I've never been a pro fighter, but just sort of living life in the way that I have. I would say that I definitely wouldn't want to work with my significant other like in a direct professional capacity, but but I definitely don't mind on occasion coming back and like bouncing ideas, telling them about my day, blah, 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 blah. Fight camp's a little bit different because it's so grinding and overwhelming. You're trying to get away. But uh, I, I think that if I hired my wife to train me or some kind of thing in work-related capacities, we would be on the fast track for divorce, if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> all right. So this was one that you kind of wanted to talk about. Aljamain Sterling, who is the existing UFC bantamweight champion, um, he is going to get neck surgery. Let me read a quote for the folks who may not know. It's not going to be nine months, he said. I don't know why people keep saying that. Who knows spreading these lies? But it's like the UFC has a mole that just tells stuff that they don't know is actually true. I'm not doing the fusion. I'm not going to be out for nine months. I'm probably going to be fighting around August, September, October. Okay. We'll see how my body uh, takes and, and how good of a shape I can get in. Obviously, the more time, the better, but I can ease my way into it. So let's imagine it's in October. It's now April. So that's May, June, July, August, September, October. That's six. I tend to think uh, any kind of neck surgery, August is a very aggressive schedule that probably won't turn out. But in general, let's say he does come back in October. What's the big deal, Rashad? What's the big deal? Yeah. Um, the big deal, I mean, would be the fact that, you know, the way he won the belt, right? The way he won the belt was, was off of a foul. And you would think when someone wins a belt, uh, when, when someone wins like that, the rematch is kind of close to immediate, you know, to kind of, you know, to settle that, that air between, you know, what would happen. Um, here in this situation, you know, uh, Al Jermaine has been kind of, he's been a troll about having his belt, man. Somebody's got to stop Al Joe. Somebody's got to stop him, Luke. Somebody's got to stop this man. He is, he's unruly with this belt. He's just unruly with this belt, man. <laughs> it's crazy. Like I, I get trying to be a troll and stuff like that, but he's making people hate him for the, what he's doing with this belt. And, uh, you know, it's funny to an extent, but the more concerning part to me is if he was believing all that troll hype that he's that he's putting out there as if, you know, he's he's, you know, 
as if he's the man. You know what I'm saying? Like as if he went out there and fin finished Peter Jan. And I'm not trying to throw any shade on Aljo because I love Aljo to death. But at the end of the day, it's like, man, you, ooh, you gotta, you gotta slide back just a little bit with all of that. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that, and I, and I say that because if he had not been acting the way that he's acting, maybe a date like six months or having to have neck surgery wouldn't seem like such a bad thing. They'd be like, you know what? Okay. But all of that, the things that he's doing outside of that is kind of making that neck surgery thing look like something else. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're asking me to read the room, right? Forget what I feel, forget what you feel, just what, what everyone else is saying about this. There's no denying that he has created some backlash. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just a reality. It's, it's observable. It's clear. Uh, you can argue whether it's fair or not, but it, you know, does it exist? Yes, it exists. Still, you know, I, I like to believe in a world, Rashad, where people say what they want, they can do what they want. But in general, you want to figure out why people make decisions that they make. Just look at their incentive structure. And here you have Rashad, or excuse me, Rashad, you have Aljamain, who um, he gets a belt when even he would argue this was not the way it was supposed to go down. I think that's pretty fair. Um, but, you know, it is his. I've argued that the way in which we do rules, you know, just and the way in which his particular situation was handled, I did not think was handled correctly. Not so much by him, but by the, the way in which we have all set it up. It's a longer argument to get into. But my point is this, Rashad. You finally have the belt, even if it's weird circumstances. I recognize there's probably a public message you could get out that would do more for your stock or the way in which you're viewed. But look at that fight. In that first round, when he was really flowing, he was doing extremely well. But that pace was unsustainable. And once that pace became unsustainable, you had seven takedowns from Peter Jan. Seven. Uh, you know, that's a huge amount. And he was beginning to put it on, Aljamain, I think in that fourth round when it finally got called. You're going to have to run it back, which means you're going to have to change a lot of your strategy up and some of the weapons you're working on. Now is the time to fix your fucking neck. Because if you don't beat Peter Jan, it's going to be a long-ass time before you're even close to sniffing that belt again. That's just the way it's going to be. Why not fix all the shit that's fucked up? Yes, the public's going to get mad at you. But if you really are serious about capturing that belt, you got to do what the things are necessary to do to take care of yourself, to put yourself in the best spot to win. Fixing your neck might be that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I agree. I agree with that. I mean, you wanna you wanna you wanna be able to go into the fight being the being the healthiest as you can be, one hundred percent. It's just everything that he's done outside of that has made it look as if like it's something else. It makes it look as if like he's dodging Peter Yan and Peter Yan and he's he's scared. You know, that's what that's what it looks like, you know, because you know, with the whole posing for the belt with um, with uh, Triple C and stuff like that, you know, it almost was looking as if like he really wasn't trying to fight Piotr Jan again. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of bogus right there if he wasn't trying to fight him back. But, um, you know, I, I honestly believe that Aljo's a talented fighter. Aljo is is one of the best guys in a weight class. But what he needs to fix in this game, in, in that fight, is just 
the overall pace and just the overall mindset approach to the fight in general. You know, I felt as if like, you know, he went away for camp and spent a lot of his time in Vegas and he was there training with his boys who was just hyping him up and didn't tell him anything that he was doing wrong. And then when the fight was happening, you know, he, he just couldn't shake what he's been doing this whole time. And that's what it, that's what it seemed like watching it. Um, so with all that said, I, I feel as if like, yeah, he does need to go into this fight 100 percent. But does the UFC allow him to do that and still be champion? Yeah, I mean, listen, if he comes back August, obviously, September, probably, no problem. Even October, I think they would let slide. The one thing that he can't mess up on at this point is, it's like, look, okay, you want to take time for your neck. Fights being delayed is a thing that everybody hates, but, you know, we can live with it, I suppose, because the UFC's got a lot of other irons in the fire. But if you say it's going to be a lot less than nine months, it needs to be a lot less than nine months. Like, it needs to be on the calendar that you said it was. So, August, September, October. I think, honestly, if he can come back at those times, the fight can be scheduled in those months, I should say. If the fight can be scheduled in those months, I, I you know, it'll be, it'll be, yeah. I think it'll be forgivable in the end. It's just annoying. Like, no one likes to see unresolved fights, which is what that basically was. And no one likes to see fights that are supposed to get made, either rematches or otherwise, get delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. Like, is GSP coming back? You know what? I don't care. I don't care because it's just talk. <laughs> we just do it all the time. Is he coming back? Is he coming back? So I think if he does that, he'll be fine, Rashad. That's just my personal opinion. But, you know, I, you got to I do win. too, but I, th I think that Aljo's selling us short by saying with this whole neck injury. Because here's the thing. Necks are so complicated they're so complicated and you never know how your neck is going to feel after surgery no matter what the doctor says or what their recovery is you know it's one of those things that you don't know what's going to happen or how you feel until it's done you know what i'm saying so that's 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 a hell of a procedure to have before you fight somebody like Piotr Jan. So I'm saying if you can put some duct tape on that bitch, you better duct tape it up and put a, a great camp, a camp together and fight Piotr Jan as it is right now. All right, that's fair. Put some, put some tussin and some duct tape on it and call it a day. Uh, all right, last but not least here for our, our top five, Rashad, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Not that it's bad. I'm not in any way bagging on it, but the return of one championship is tonight on TNT. It's one on TNT, two. In the main event, you have Christian Lee, who is the lightweight champion over there, taking on a guy. This is the guy that blew through Eddie Alvarez. Timothy, I never know how to pronounce it, but I'm going to pronounce it this way because it sounds cool. Nasty Yukin. Uh, and then you have some other fights on there as well that are, are somewhat interesting, including some uh, Adam Waite Muay Thai. But Christian Lee versus Timothy Nasty Yukin is a, he's a legitimate, he, like, his win, um, that, this was Eddie Alvarez's debut. Rashad, remember it didn't go too well for him? Oh, that yeah. That was against this dude, Nasty Yukin, who is, uh, he's the real deal. Christian Lee, I don't, you know, he's had some good wins. I don't know a whole lot about him. Your level of interest in one on TNT is what? Um, it's pretty decent. It's pretty decent. I'm, I'm interested because I, I want to see what they do with this platform they have on TNT. Uh, the, the first one was like, so-so. Eh, uh, they still got some things they need to work out. I mean, um, the Eddie call was terrible, and then Demetrius losing like that kind of hurt my heart a little bit. But the first first one was decent. Uh, and this one right here um, with Christian Lee, this guy, Christian Lee, 22 years old, um, this kid is a phenom, man. This kid has been fighting at a high level uh, 
since he's been like 17 years old, you know, and um, he, he does everything so well. He's just a, a, a true treat to watch, you know, just a, a perfectionist in almost every facet of the sport, man. And uh, Nazi, what's his name? Nasty Lukin? <laughs> Na- nasty Nasty Yukin is how I'm going to pronounce it. It's probably wrong. Nasty, but... Na- nasty Yukin. Um, that fight with Eddie, man, I, I talked to Eddie and Eddie said he never felt anything like that in his life. You know, he said when, when that guy hit him, it just split his whole eye open. And he said he just felt air in his eye. And he said he's never felt something, you know, like that before. He said a kid has some serious power. And watching him fight, you know, he, he has some crazy power in both hands. And uh, he's got the fastest knockout in one uh, this guy got some serious knockout power, so it's going to be, you know, can the youth and speed of Christian Lee stand up to that power of Nasiukin? Yeah, and uh, to your point, uh, uh, Christian Lee has a win over Yuri Lapicus. That's the guy that Eddie fought last week that didn't go well, but Eddie was putting it on him, uh, and Christian Lee has beaten him as well. I always say this, Rashad, like, and I really believe this is true. Um, you know, it'll vary a little bit, obviously, but, you know, if you've never heard of an organization but they're putting on their lightweight title fight, it's probably worth watching. That weight class is so good, right? Bantamweight, you could put in the same one, maybe welterweight, depending on how it shakes out. But, you know, certainly for 155 and 135 pounds, any organization that has a dedicated division anywhere in the world with like a, with like a, a television deal, you're going to see good fighters on there. Are they as good as the UFC champions? Eh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Probably not in most cases. But I think you would agree, Rashad, that is a weight class that is deep, across the earth so there's no chance that christian lee versus nasty yukin is going to be a low level fight it will be a high level fight for sure absolutely and those asian fighters at 155 uh they're they're just phenomenal they're phenomenal and like you said worldwide that 155 division is just so deep you know and these guys that compete at that weight class in one um they're they're fast they're explosive um, it's, it's just a different, different kind of energy. You know what I'm saying? Those guys, those guys come with a lot of intensity. Uh, and, and it's good to see, you know, one FC, they, they really specialize in a lighter weight classes. And, um, with, with, with this guy, Christian Lee, they really struck gold in him because he's got everything 22 years old, good looking, uh, you know, speaks really well. And, uh, he's got a really, really bright future. Yeah, he's got a tough opponent tonight as well so that should be uh, oh, kind yeah. of fun all right so let's change things up here a little bit Rashad I've got five let's see one two three four, yeah I got five short quick hitters we're gonna call Ooh. this KO or no like so if you're gonna give a KO you're gonna say it's a good thing if you're gonna say no obviously it's a bad thing right so it's a KO or it's a no all right KO or no good or bad Kevin Holland plans to train with Daniel Cormier to improve his wrestling. Quote, can't say too much changes. We'll see. I honestly don't know. Going to spend some time with DC for sure. Work on some of that wrestling. Go work on wrestling. Learn to stop some of these takedowns. Other than that, same old, same. KO or no? Uh, it should be a KO, but I'm going to say it's going to be a no. I'm going to say it's a no. Like, I know the... In- I know the no. Listen, I know the intent is there, right? I know the intent is there, and I know that uh, you know DC will be you know one hell of an asset to, to Kevin Holland if those two can get together and make it happen. That'd be great. But DC works a lot, man. DC DC works every fight. DC's traveling around. DC's a hard man to uh, to nail down. You know what I'm saying? So 
it, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. I wish it would happen. It would be great for Kevin Holland if he can get some of that understanding of, of, of wrestling from a guy like DC. Uh, that would be great for him, but I don't know if it's going to happen. All right. Uh, let's see. Big John, who is now no longer refing, calls out the ref who disqualified Eddie Alvarez. Quote from Big John. You guys need to understand, talking to other referees, you have a responsibility to a lot more than your understanding. Uh, you have a responsibility to those fighters. You have a responsibility to the promotion, and you have a responsibility to the fans of MMA and the sport of MMA that you're going to do that's something that's reasonable within what you can do. Just to take a championship fight and throw up a red card or to disqualify somebody, you're not using your brain, you're not being reasonable, and you're not thinking of the full context of what you have. Now, he makes a much broader and bigger argument about the specifics, but KO or no, good or bad, on Big John calling out other referees, or I should say, um, you know, he's former, but active referees. That's a KO, man. I totally agree with that 100%. That referee was out of line, man. I think that, um, you know, in that fight, you know, Eddie was, was, was landing some ground and pound, but the guy was moving his head, and they and, and that's one thing that the referees always tell us. They they tell us, you know, watch the back of the head. But if the guy turns his head while you're punching him, then that's on him. That's always been a rule, no matter what. Um, so you know that offensively and de- defensively. So um, I don't I don't know what happened there, you know. And it seemed like that was that that was exactly what happened. The guy moved his head when Eddie was punching him. You know, that's not that's not on Eddie. I have to tell you that every I've been watching the sport for fifteen plus years. You know, uh, every time there's one of these situations, I learn something new. There's a new thing that referees do that I'd never heard of. I, I don't know if anyone feels this way. I always feel like every time we encounter some new scenario, there's a new power referees had that I didn't know, a new responsibility, a new way in which to adjudicate the situation. I always feel lost when it comes to these situations. <laughs> uh yeah all right you feel the same or no yeah 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 i mean i i i, I was watching i had to watch it a few times to kind of get uh, um you know see if there was something i didn't miss because i'm not too familiar with one so i was thinking like maybe they have some other kind of rule i mean you know if you can knee a guy a downed opponent in his face uh hitting him in his head when he's moving his head in that direction uh, I, I don't i don't think that's any worse but <laughs> i don't know uh, fair enough all right on june 10th for the professional fighters league uh she calls herself the quote clarissa shields will make her mma debut will it be a knockout for the pfl or will it be a big no for them in terms of her upside mm. i'll say that'd be a knockout I'll say so that'd be a knockout. I'm really, I'm really excited to see her compete. I think that um, if she can learn the ground game, what she can do on her feet can be pretty scary. You know, she, she can, she can definitely uh, land with some punch and power, some speed, and some intensity that you know these women never felt before. But the big, the big thing for her is, you know, can she uh, keep the fight where she wants to on the feet? You know, has she closed enough of the distance with the stand up and ability to keep the fight in her, her discipline? in order to, uh, to, to to be able to land those big shots? That's the question. I think she'll be... I mean, they announced this on Good Morning America. I tend to oh, think wow. at a bare minimum, this will be good uh, for uh, their brand. But, um, yeah. you know, everyone wants her to fight Kayla Harrison. I'm like... Ooh. 
why? You know, you know, you know, for the next year or two, probably a little bit longer, Kayla's going to work her over. Um, yeah. You know, it's just not time. Maybe in the future, but it's not time right now. Yeah, it's not. It's not time right now. I mean, you you give Clarissa some time to see if she even has the ability to blossom to 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 see if she can even you know close the gap at all because after you get to a certain point with 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 your not grappling or knowing how to wrestling it just becomes a point of no return where it's just like you're not going to learn it you know and i don't know how clarissa moves to know if she has one of those body types that just never ever will will get grappling um you know stiff torso you know not not really using uh, hip shifting and that kind of a thing. It's not the, really it's, able to wrestle. It's the, like, go, yeah, you, it's you, the you, hips, Luke. It's it's all it's all in the hips. If their hips are are super stiff, and they don't have any mobility in their hips or any way to 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 you know don't have really good hip strength, then they're not going to be good at all with, with wrestling or grappling. I've I've noticed a lot of tall fighters in MMA probably because they don't spend a tremendous amount of time doing it, which you understand. Like there's 24 hours in a day. You know, you have to train the things that are, you know, most important according to what your needs and talents are. But I've noticed there's a lot of taller fighters that are not good at either wrestling or grappling with their legs. Their legs serve a, like a blocking function, which is kind of basic. But in terms of like using it to weave and really be right. commanding like a third or fourth arm, they don't have that. And that's a big key differentiator. And like to get there, some people are naturally quite good at it. But if you've been boxing your whole life, It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. Absolutely. Uh, okay, here, Rashad. KO or no, Julian Marquez had a big win in his last fight. Uh, and before his fight with Sam Alvey, one of the editors at Bloody Elbow, bloodyelbow.com, I used to be the editor there many moons ago, um, we have the tweet for it. He, he, you know, he said something snarky. A little bit. Look at the first one just below. Having zero doubts that Julian Marquez is going to take the worst approach to, to fighting Sam Alvey. And still has a 60% chance of winning. Okay, it's a little mean. It's a little mean. It's kind of funny. It's probably true as well. And then Julian Marquez gets out there and says, sounds like I shouldn't do any interviews with Bloody Elbow anymore. Okay, Rashad, are you going to give a KO or a no to Julian Marquez in terms of how fighters should handle feedback, media criticism, and who they give interviews to? I I, I, w- I would give him a KO on this, man. Listen, sometimes you got to make them pay for what they say. Luke, you got to. But here's the thing about it. You do have to have a thick skin. You can't take everything personal. You can't. You got to be, be able to be like, you know what? They don't know me because I used to get it all the time. People used to kill me, kill me. Oh, this guy, you know, he's not going to do this. He's not going to do that on, on a lot of the fights that I fought. And um I didn't react every single time. You know, you just keep on shutting them up. You just keep on shutting them up. And sometimes staying quiet and just shutting them up would change things around. Maybe he shouldn't, you know, really say he won't do any interviews with him, but just be like, okay, who was the editor that said that? And just kind of make him feel uncomfortable next time he does an interview with him, you know, have some fun with him. I always feel like, listen, talk to who you want to talk to. They don't owe you anything, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, the better way to handle it is, to your point, one, who said, like, who did I interview with versus who said it? Because, you know, the sites have, you know, a dozen or plus staffers. That not everyone has the same opinion. And also, what you should do, and I'm going to give them a no, is not say, oh, I think what you said is awesome. I'm going to go back on your podcast, and then on your podcast, I'm going to take it to you there. That's where I'm going to do it. I'm going <laughs> to let you have it right in front, and that way... 
What can you say? You said it on Twitter. Now you got to answer it for it on your podcast. I think that's a much better approach, Rashad. Yeah, it's a much better approach. It's a much more diplomatic approach, too. You know what I'm saying? And, and it kind of makes you look a lot better. You know, sometimes if you just like, I'm not going to do an interview with them anymore. You just look like a little whiny bitch and can't take any criticism. That's, that's what <laughs> happens sometimes. <laughs> the, other, the other thing I would say is this. Like, obviously, I don't know what it's like to be a professional athlete in the public eye. But, you know, I've seen internet threads about me and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes they're nice and sometimes they're horribly cruel. But the reality is, like, on some level, dude, I, 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 for example... Perfect example, Rashad. I was talking to Kayla Harrison. This was a couple of years ago. She was telling me at the time that, I think 2018 or 2019, that she had a Google alert sent to her mailbox anytime someone mentioned her in a news article, on an internet forum, anything. And I was like, that's a really bad idea to just know what the world is saying about you at all times in every way, whether they know you, whether they don't, whether they like you, whether they don't. To me, it's like you can't fight the ocean. People are, for the most part, for the most part, people are just going to say what they're going to say and let them have it, and then your life doesn't have to match that. It can actually be quite different in the end. Yeah, you know, one thing that I had to learn in my career was to separate when Sugar Rashad was being verbally injured or just kind of, you know, had a fall versus Rashad Evans, you know, for the longest time, I couldn't divorce the two. You know, when people were, were insulting Sugar Rashad Evans, I would get offended as Rashad Evans. And it took a while for me to be like, you know what? Those people can say what they want to say about the character because they really they're talking about the character because they don't know me. They don't know the person that I am outside of, you know, on TV and stuff like that. So they 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 really don't know me. So what they're saying, they're saying it about a character. And I needed to just make that separation, that division and who I was as a person versus the character you know, I was when I when I fought or the way they see me when I fought and being able to do that. It helped me out a lot. It saved me a lot of just, you know, not wearing all that, not taking all that home with you. Because as a as a mixed martial artist, you know, you take you, you know, it's you, you know, you take your job home with you. Some aspects of the job you need to leave at the job. You can't allow that to stay inside your psyche. You don't need to have a Google alert listening to what people say or reading what people say, because those are the things that stay in your mind in your quiet moments, you know, and you don't want to have that. You don't want to have anybody else's uh, ill-informed dialogue in your mind when you need to do something. And then last but not least on the, uh, the, the KO or no here, Francis Ngannou, and Tyson Fury have been exchanging words, Rashad Evans. We have some tweets up here. We're going to put them on the screen. Here we have uh, Tyson Fury. Mike Tyson, after I smash Anthony Joshua, I'll roast that guy also. <laughs> Francis Ngannou, easy work. He is such a troll. Uh, and then Francis responded, if this guy did this to you, that was uh, Otto Valin. What do you think I would do? KO or no to the idea of Francis Ngannou, Tyson Fury? That's a KO. That is a KO, man. <laughs> that is a KO. And that's the kind of stuff that will bring Francis to the next level. You know, that will bring Francis to an all-time... I mean, you, we thought McGregor and Floyd would, would have been... was a big fight. This would, this would trump that. This would be bigger than that. I mean, because the, the big boys bring that kind of attention... And uh, can you imagine a fight of this magnitude? Can you Rashad, imagine you, both why, of these why are you dudes fighting? Oh, my Rashad, God. Rashad, why are you trying to get Francis hurt? Why are you trying to do that? 
Hey, listen, it only takes one shot. It only takes one shot. It only takes one shot. And if Francis, hold on, Francis does swing wild and he does swing for the fences. But the Francis that we've seen against Stipe, even though he wasn't going against a boxer like the Gypsy King who's who's got that finesse with them. He still was putting together a well-executed striking game plan, starting off with the body, nice and easy punches, wasn't just swinging for the fences. If Nganu can come with a calculated striking plan and, and not try to swing for the fences, I don't know. He might, he, might, he might be able to do it. He might be an interesting boxer. Would you bet your car on it? Oh, no. <laughs> Listen, if he wasn't going against the Gypsy King, maybe. If he was going against some other heavyweight in, in a boxing, yeah. But the, the, the um, Tyson Fury is one hell of a boxer. This dude can box. He can really I know. I box. I usually am He's not got, the kind of guy who's like, I'm usually not the guy who's like, wow, a lanky, seemingly, seemingly, Awkward, tall, kind of flabby white guy is just going to bust up the universe. But uh, it's just not a fair description of him. He's so much more than that. And he really, he, I, what he did to Wilder in the last one was just like, and, and Klitschko too, like just unbelievable. I think he's going to wear out Anthony Joshua. Do you? Yeah, I think so. I think he's going to wear him out. I mean, you know, Tyson Fury has some kind of sauce with his movements, man. Maybe it's been, you know, training in Detroit that got him that kind of, that, that kind of way, you know, but he's just, uh, one of those fighters that I really enjoy fighting just from a stylistic point of view because he's a big guy, but he fights so pretty. He's got such a pretty boxing style. All right. And that, oh, uh, we do have some breaking news to get to here very quickly. So just a quick reaction from you, Rashad, if I may. I'm trying to toggle between two computer systems here. Um, we have some breaking news. According to ESPN's Brett Okamoto, Dana White has announced, or at least the UFC is planning on putting anyway, uh, light heavyweight title up for grabs. Glover Teixeira is going to fight Jan Blahovich. UFC 266. Rashad, you got to love it for a Glover. T- I, I, I've said this before. Like getting a rematch in a title fight, or um, you know, having a title fight after you've had one. This is my point. Let me let me let me word this as carefully as I can. Glover Teixeira had a title fight in 2014 in Baltimore, Maryland. I was there when he fought John Jones. He went five rounds. It wasn't especially close. Didn't get blown out, but that was it. Fast forward six years, seven years later, basically, Rashad, and he's back at the top of the mountain after hitting the 40-year mark of his age. To do that, to spend seven years between title fights, but to get it again, says a lot about your character, says a lot about your skills. It says a lot about, to an extent, the division as well, but I think in general, it speaks so highly of Glover Teixeira. Absolutely. Absolutely to everything you said. I mean, to be able to be in this position after seven years, you know, the ups and downs, never, never um, giving up on yourself, uh, being in those tough fights where, you know, it looked like you were going to lose, but then finding a way to get that win 
against these younger talent. You know, I mean, just what Glover Teixeira has been able to do is is, is something out of a, a fairy tale. You know, to be honest, uh, you just don't see guys right off in the sunset and and at the age that he is still being able to compete with these younger guys. And it warms my heart, man. From from a corny sense of point of view, it warms my heart to see that, man, because I, I love to see the older guy and, and Glover Teixeira, you know, get a chance to get a belt. And, um, you know, he could win this fight. This is a very winnable fight, too. You know, it's not just the congratulations on him getting a shot to fight for the belt. But this is a fight where we could see him potentially walk away as UFC champion. Can you imagine that him walking away as UFC champion? If I was him at that point, I would just retire if I was him, you know. But I mean, it's 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 what a great story for Glover to share, and what a great testament to heart and character to earn himself right back in this position. No doubt about it. And you know, it's a tough fight. Uh, Jan Blahovich has, I think, this is the best he's ever looked. I, I've been working on a tape study of his, and um, you know, I didn't really understand his fighting style. It's a lot of. It's a lot of waiting. Uh, it's a lot of blitzing. I just didn't quite get it. But then I went back and I watched his old fights and how he's improved over time. He is obviously you know turned out to be quite a special talent himself. I'll say this: I think Glover has a challenge because Jan is very, very good setting traps, backing up, which Glover with his pace coming forward that might be a bit of a problem for him. However, on the ground, you know Glover's been a black belt for a long time. He passes. He has good control. Good ground and pound. You saw what he did to Anthony Smith. He can move to mount. He can hold mount. If he can get that fight to the floor and then, you know, obviously not overly push on the feet, to your point, Rashad, very winnable fight for him. But, uh, you know, I don't want to take away from the chances of Jan Blahovich either. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Um, you know, Blahovich got that crazy uppercut that he has on his right hand that you don't really see coming you know he disguises so well and he catches everybody with it and if he doesn't catch you with that that uppercut that shovel uppercut that he that he sneaks by you that left hook that he has is another killer that he knocks everybody out with but I, you know i've watched you know throughout the years jan just grow into such a better fighter not more or less with the skills but just from a cerebral level, mentally speaking, he's fighting at a at a higher level than he's fought in a long time. And the fight with uh, Adesanya just proved that, you know, to go in there and to win the fight that he did against Adesanya was a great uh, a moment for him because it shows that, you know, he, he was in a fight with somebody who was technically better with skills, but his adjustments on a mental level, being able to, uh, you know, use his whole skills, all the skill set was the difference in that fight. And it shows that this guy is a lot better than we all throw up. Um, if you ever want an experiment, this is what really helped me with Jan Blachowicz to really understand how he got better. Um, I had two different screens up, Rashad. And on the left side, I had Jan Blachowicz versus Jimmy Manawa 1. And on the right side, I had Jan Blachowicz versus Jimmy Manawa 2. Jan loses the first one, wins the second, although both had their moments in either case. And I watched round one of one, then round one of the other one. Round two, round two, round three, round three. It will tell you all the differences. It's not a huge, like he didn't radically change, you know, where he was like some terrible striker and he got good. No, he just made really smart adaptations. He refined the process a little bit. He, to your point, he clearly has a mind for thinking through and solving problems. And he just got to, he just, he's a much cleaner, smoother, smarter, patient operator in there. And he picks the spots. And as you can see, he's been picking them pretty goddamn well. 
Yeah, absolutely, uh, man. I'm, I'm excited about this, man. I think that um, it's gonna be it's gonna be one of those fights that um, is is gonna be a lot closer than people think. Uh, I think Glover Teixeira has a lot in 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 for for uh, Jan Blahowicz, especially on the ground. So this is gonna be an interesting interesting fight. All right, we'll wrap with something fun here today, Rashad. Now, I, I've known you for many years. I've been covering your career for many years. But yet, in many ways, I don't feel like I know you. I only know you as a professional colleague. Here is my chance and the audience's chance to maybe get a little bit more information. We're going to call this Getting to Know Rashad. I have 10 questions Uh-oh. for you. And okay. uh, we'll see how they go. All right? These are easy. Okay. These are very simple. Okay? okay? So you're a vegan these days. Before yep. you were a vegan... What was your favorite pig out meal? Pizza and chicken wings. <laughs> Buffalo. What goes chicken on wings. the pizza? From, oh man, it, well I would have pepperoni. It would be a meat lover's pizza, right? I have some pepperoni, uh, stack it up with all kinds of meats, and I will put like some jalapenos on there just for the spiciness too. You can still have jalapeno pizza as a vegan. You just have to have the diet cheese or whatever, right? Yeah, I try. I try not. I mean, every once in a while, I have some cheese, but I try not to eat cheese. It, it messes with my stomach a little bit. No, no, but can't you? I mean, have you ever had the pizzas with the vegan cheese? It's not so bad. Yeah, I tried the vegan cheese, and, and sometimes I eat the vegan cheese. But like, if I'm gonna do pizza, I'm gonna do pizza. You know, I don't want. I don't want it to taste not like how I'm used to tasting it. You know, I, I want to remember it the way that it was. Right. That's fair. I got to tell you, if you, uh, I don't know if they made it through the pandemic or not. I'll get the name. A buddy of mine um, who's lived in New York since uh, 1998, he took me to a restaurant nearby where he lives. It's on the southwest side of Manhattan. I want, I want to say it's near Chinatown, um, but it's not Chinese. It is Mexican. It's a Mexican place. Now, if you've ever lived in Latin America or even just Latin American food, you know that like meat products and dairy products from Mexico all the way to Argentina and every place in between, those products feature prominently in those cuisines, even though those cuisines are all quite different between them. It's an all-vegan Mexican restaurant. And I know you're thinking to yourself, that's going to be terrible food. It's going to be shit. You're going to hate it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to hate this. But I do like trying to eat vegan food, but I just thought that was going too far. It was going to be bad. It's one of the best meals I've ever had in New York anywhere. It was really shockingly good. I'll get the name of it, but the next time you're in New York City, Rashad, you owe it to yourself to go to this place. It, it will blow away your expectations. I'm going to check it out, man, because I always try to find new vegan spots. I'm going to open up a vegan restaurant one day and, and going to different places, different restaurants give me good ideas. Um, okay. Oh, yes. The place is called... Um, um, you, if you ever like, you know, read Spanish, they they spell ha 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 with a J, obviously. Okay. So it's called yeah. in English, it'd be ja ja ja, but in uh, in in um, you know, it's ha ha ha. That's the place. Yeah. It's uh, one six two East Broadway. Shouts to them. It'll blow you away, man. It was shockingly good. All right, next one. Here we go. I'm going to assume Rashad, and maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to assume you probably are at least on some level a fan of hip hop. Is that a fair assumption to make? It's a fair assumption. Fair assumption. Give me the Rashad Evans top three MCs. Uh, top three. Um, Tupac. Already uh, off on a bad say, foot, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, Tupac is okay, okay, okay. Uh, Immortal Technique. Okay, all right. 
And I'm going to say my third one is going to be Busta Bus. Busta Rhymes. Busta Rhymes, man. I love some Busta Rhymes. When it comes to flow, when it comes to just wordplay, Busta's it, man. Busta has got the sickest delivery. His lines are just, I mean, Busta's it, man. So you're not much of a, so you said, well, Busta Rhymes is New York. He's from Brooklyn, so that counts. Yeah. But Immortal Technique, I'm not sure where he's from. I don't, is he, a, where is, he, I mean, he's Peruvian American, but where is he from from? Do you know? He's from New York, too. He's from New York. Okay, I did not know that. And then the other one, I forgot, Tupac, yeah. who's obviously Baltimore slash West Coast. Um, yeah. Okay, so I, I'm surprised. No no Biggie, no Jay-Z, no not. No, 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 you know, Big Daddy Kane, no, no nothing? Nah, I mean, I, lo- I love Biggie. I love Biggie, but I, I mean, I like the body of work that these other artists have. You know, I mean, I love, I love Immortal Technique just because of, you know, the content and what she raps in and then the delivery style, you know, when it comes to like speaking truth and when it comes to his ill wordplay and mortal technique. All right. Number three, favorite 1980s, either martial arts or action movie. And if you want to go early nineties, it's like a bleed over from the same era. You can, I won't be too hard on you, but it's gotta be okay. you know, someone okay. that. You said just my top one, my favorite one, just number one, number one. Oh, man. Number one. It's going to be Action Jackson. You remember Action Jackson? Vaguely. (laughs) Vaguely. Oh, my gosh. Action Jackson was the... Oh, Action Jackson. Um, The Golden Child was another one that got a little bit of... Yeah, Golden Child was another one. You know, back in the day, I used to like to skip school and just watch some 80s movies, man. This this would be on my... My playlist. If I was gonna miss school, like this would be like. But my you're first not like a you're not a like a Terminator or Bloodsport or any of those Van Damme Seagal. I mean, some of those again were early mid nineties, but some of those I, are. I, I guess I guess if I if I was to say if I was to say, you, you ever see the Last Dragon? Yes. That's one. That's, that's, that's one. a good that, one. That 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 that's an all time that's an all time classic right there. The Last Show, Dragon. The guy who did Show Enough and the Show Enough character were basically perfect. It was everything it needed to be. Yeah. Am I the meanest? <laughs> Show enough. All right. Four, number four. Not, not the first time you saw yourself on TV. Not the first time someone wrote an article about you. What was the first time it really dawned on you? Like you had a moment that you were famous. What happened? Oh, man. Um the moment I realized I was famous, uh, it was after the reality show and I was still like, you know, I was starting to pick up some fame from the show, but it really didn't dawn on me. And I was still working at the hospital and, uh, I, I had my boss come up to me to tell me that I might, uh, they're going to have to put me on a different shift or I might have to think of doing something else or because so many people were, uh, stopping and wanting to take pictures. And, and I was like, as a security guard in the hospital, that wasn't a good thing. So at that point, I had to decide on if I wanted to still, you know, do security work or just try to pursue the whole MMA career. But for the longest time, after I um, won the Ultimate Fighter show, I didn't, I didn't quit my job. I just kept my job for a while. And then after that situation happened, I was like, yeah, maybe it's time to quit. Hmm. Uh, did you ever have to give anyone those hands at the hospital? Did everyone have to get the Evans uh, uppercut special? 
<laughs> I mean, you know, I, I I've had to, uh, you know, you because a part of my job as a security guard, I had to restrain people, so I had to, you know, implement some of my MMA skills on people, but I never, never got to really jack nobody up like All right. that. All right, you did plenty of that in the cage. <laughs> All right, what yeah. would be the best way to describe you? You can you can only pick from these three. Okay, in okay. high school, were you a jock, a mathlete, or a weird loner? Which one best describes you? A mathlete, like that means you are a Mac and an athlete, right? Well, uh, yeah. So, so uh, my my senior year, I didn't even know this was a thing. I was on the math team, and I, again, I had no idea this was coming. And you know how you could get the varsity jacket if you played football, and if you played football, yeah. you put it on like the letter, you know. They go, you lettered Wait, you, in math. You... And I'm like, no, no, the fuck I didn't. I'm not putting that on a fucking jacket <laughs> ever. Uh, so that's where the term comes from. Wait, you said math, mathlete, right? Yeah, math, math. Mathlete. Oh, I thought you said, I thought you said Mac as in Mac daddy. See, I'm like, yeah, I could, okay, I was a Mac daddy and an athlete. Nah, <laughs> I was just a jock. I was just a jock. I was, I was terrible in math. I'm still terrible in math, man. But uh, yeah, just a, just a jock. All right, number six. What's the first car you ever owned? It was a Ford Probe. It Ooh, was so you were, busted. You were up. pushing I, a terrible car. What was oh that? Oh my like? gosh! It was it was terrible. It was terrible. Listen, I got it for fifteen hundred dollars. I brought it uh, with a little bit of leftover money I had from my uh, college tuition. And I needed a little car to go to class, so I got me a nice little fifteen hundred dollar whip, and I and I beat the hell out of that car. But that car, it, it, it stuck around for a few years. I was thinking that it was only going to last me like maybe one one year, but it ended up lasting like four or five years. Pretty decent. Did it have car. AC? Did the windows roll down manually? No, nah, it had no AC. It had no AC. Um, the it, it was it, it was it was bad. Like sometimes the brakes didn't work in the wintertime. I had to, uh, one time, I, I my brakes were so terrible the whole winter. I had to find some kind of special way to to, to sl- slow down because it was terrible. If I had just to slash, slam on the brakes. Uh, here's what I did. My first car ever was a white Chevy Corsica. That I bought at a government auction from some drug dealer they took it off of. I'm like, first of all, if you drove oh, a Chevy man. Corsica, you're the worst drug dealer in America. Number one, you make no money. And number two, the brakes on that thing were so fucking shitty that I would have to drive it and to, to slow down at like a hill. If it was a flat service, not so much. But if it was a hill, I had to pump the emergency brake while I pressed the normal gas pedal <laughs> just so I wouldn't crash into the car in front of me. <laughs> yeah i know the feeling man i know the feeling i know the feeling all right we're moving along here number seven either from a customer service or a mechanical operation standpoint what's the worst airline experience you've ever had oh man um i would say when i went to russia i lost my bag and i had uh i had one of my oil pins on me and as soon as the bag come out, they come out with these dogs, right? And these dogs are smelling all over the whole, um, the, uh, the, where the bags are coming out. And my heart is just in my stomach. And I'm just like, I'm dying here. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna go to jail. I brought the, I brought my oil. I shouldn't have brought the oil. I was tripping. And then it just so happened that my bag didn't come at all. And I was just, I was so relieved. I'd never been happier to not receive a bag from the airline, Hmm. but 
It took about three days for the bag to get there. And I was there for a UFC trip working uh, a UFC fight. So I had no clothes. So, so what I had did, to what go. Did they well, I had to go and buy some uh, clothes in Russia, just like some. I had to buy like a T-shirt and, uh, and and some and some slacks. But it was uh, it was a crazy experience. But I was happy that I didn't have no bag because you know I <laughs> I was so nervous about having the oil. It ended up showing up like three days later. Um, calling customer service for Russia was not a good thing because they I'll call and they'd be like, "Your bag is not here. What 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 do you want us to do?" And I was like. Okay. <laughs> they was just so matter of fact about it. And it, and, it, and it was, I mean, I was just like, I guess I have no bag, you know? It finally came the last day. That's crazy. All right. My favorite walkout that I've seen of yours, I was in Atlanta when you fought John Jones, and you walked out too, speaking of immortal technique, point of no return. So for me, when someone asked me, what's your favorite Rashad Evans walkout, I'm going to say that one. What would you say is yours? Oh, man. Um, Favorite walkout? Yeah, I, w- I would say I would say it would be that one. It was it was that one. A point of return to mortal technique, and I say that one just because of what what that walkout was for me. You know, going out for that fight. I'm walking out to the fight, and I don't even have my own cup on. I'm wearing Nate Marquardt's cup. I forgot my cup that day. Uh, you know, when I was going to fight Chuck, and I had to wear Nate Marquardt after he just fought. Um, I, th- I forget who he just fought, but he just fought somebody on that card and I'm wearing his wet, sweaty cup and I'm walking out and I'm like, well, I mean, there, where, the place where I'm from at this moment, it doesn't exist. I'm either the guy who beat Chuck or the guy who got embarrassingly knocked out by Chuck, you know, so my reality was going to change. And I remember just truly feeling the words of those songs. Hmm. Amazing. All right. Number nine. We only have two more. What is your most unpopular opinion? This is this is one where like you've tried it on others and everyone's like, "Oh, Rashad, you don't know shit." What's your most unpopular opinion about anything related to MMA? What's a, what's a, the view you have about something happening in the sport and you try it on other people and they they're like, "Oh, you you're wrong." What is it? Hmm, I don't know. That's that's a that's a difficult question. What do you mean by that? Okay, I'll give you an example. I'm not, you know, and this is a longer debate uh, conversation, obviously, but I'm not really all that Mm -hmm. bothered by performance enhancing drug use. It doesn't really bother me, right? This would be a fairly unpopular opinion for others to have. Right, right, right. Okay, 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 okay. Um, Man, let me think here. I guess I... Man, I I don't really have one, to be honest. I don't really have one. Really? You're just Mr. Consensus over there? Huh? You're Mr. Consensus. Everything you say, people yeah, I, just like agree with. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I, I guess I really don't have any two, uh, you know, different opinions o- over the norm when it comes to that capacity in the MMA. You know, I don't really. Um, I, well, I, I kind of feel the same way you feel about about the uh, the supplementation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like how it uh, used to be. That's that, I, I kind of feel the same way about that, but I've never really voiced that to anybody though. There you go. All right. Very good. Join me on the dark side. No, I'll join you on okay. the dark side. Yeah. Yeah. Last but not least, most importantly, he is our esteemed colleague. You know, he's got some delusions of grandeur, but he's an all right guy. In fact, he's a great guy, but he's not here with us today. And that's Brian Campbell because he is on vacation. What did you think of Brian? Not now. The first time you met him. 
<laughs> I thought he was silly as hell, man. But I thought I thought it was, I thought he was funny. I always thought BC was funny, but he was just he was just uh, wildly silly, man. I was like, uh, I was like, you know, I, I was like, man, this guy doesn't get himself fired because BC says like the craziest things sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes BC doesn't have a filter, and he just says what comes to his, comes to his mind. I was like, oh my god, he's gonna end up fired. That's that's what I first thought when I when I met BC. Yeah, he loves to comment on the sexual attractiveness of female colleagues. And I'm like, I don't think we should do that, BC. We're going to get fired. Uh, okay, very good. Now I know you better. I know you better as a consequence of this segment. Very good stuff. I appreciate Thank your you. candor, Rashad. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, so for that, we are done here for the day. I want to remind everyone, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. Let's see, what else? Um, Showtime, you want to try it for free? You certainly can. 30 days. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go do other stuff. Uh, if you want to take the plunge, you can see the the, uh, the uh, bottom third right there. Uh, go to show.com slash MMA. Only $4.99 a month for the next six months. Uh, let's see. You can go to store.show.com for some merch. If you want to check that out, you can go to morningcombat at gmail.com to send us anything for Dead Wrong or for... Um, fan submissions and of course put up the lower third there for all of our social please go follow mr evans you can follow him on instagram you can follow him on twitter and of course morning combat as well as the same name everywhere notice that i'm stupid and don't have the same name between accounts because i'm a very very smart man um i think that's it rashad it's been great working with you i appreciate you making some time man um what do you what's on the uh, docket for mr evans today uh, today I got to go to the gym. I'm actually running a little bit late. I got my heavyweights training, Justin Willis and, uh, Greg Hardy. We got some big fights coming up. So coach got to be there to push those big boys. All right. Well, I won't keep you from uh, Mr. Big Pretty or, uh, Mr. Hardy. I appreciate your time, Rashad. Uh, great to talk yes, to sir. you. And, uh, yeah, for everyone out there, thank you guys so much for watching for Brian Campbell. Let's see morning combat CBS showtime. Malka. There's the UFC hall of Famer. I'm Luke Thomas until then may all of your gains be loyal.